This is Partnership for the Arts Radio. Come join us as we explore the worlds of art. And you can listen to all the episodes of our talk show on our website at partnershipforthearts.group.org. This podcast was recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Partnership for the Arts Talk Show. And what you are listening to is George Mancini on the piano with his jazz trio that you will be hearing in the soundtrack through the episode. Glad you could take the time to join us, especially on this second part of our interview in the Rider Circle. So, Nanette. Dave, how are you doing today? I am wonderful. I am feeling blessed. And I've got my refill on my cup of coffee. <laughs> and how are you? I am great. And I am really excited because we are going to be resuming our conversation today right. with author Libby Schaefer. Mm-hmm. So, let's get going. Sounds good. So, welcome, Libby. Yes, Libby, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Okay, Libby, last uh, show we were talking about the new mural coming in, but let's go a little different direction now. Let's talk about something I don't think we touched on, how you found Ponta Gorda and the process for starting your book. Yes, right. 2002, we started visiting, and my husband said... I think we need to move there. And I said, but we have grandchildren and I want to see them. And he said, "Uh, think about it. They live in San Francisco, Nashville, Hershey, Pennsylvania, Atco, New Jersey, and Bucks County. Uh, How are they all going to get to what house? So we ended up moving permanently in 2004. And six weeks later, Hurricane Charlie came to town. There have been people who've asked us to leave since then because they thought perhaps we brought Charlie with us, but (laughs) we did not. But that's when we permanently moved, and I truly fell in love with the town. Uh, Walking for me was therapeutic, health-wise. I had some medical issues, and just the beauty of the town. The stories of the houses, and meeting the people. And the rest is history. Yes, it is. As they say. (laughs) And the book, how long did it take you to finish the book? A year. It took me a whole year. And actually, probably a little bit long, but it was a year till it went to the publisher. I had started preliminary stuff before that and kept a log of different stories and things people had told me. And then a year later, after getting on the computer and putting everyone together and going to ladies' houses and being told that if I said, I'll bring lunch if I can come and interview you, and they would allow me to come. And I insulted them the one time by saying I would bring on sweet tea with artificial sweetener and got told, honey... We're Southern girls. We take our tea sweet. So I did all that, and so in between, I would write the stories. Two o'clock in the morning, you know, three o'clock in the morning, I would write the stories. So a little over a year. No, go ahead. Coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I would say that the whole book writing gig has become kind of addictive for you. I would say so. My husband would also say so. (laughs) Because now you have three additional books. Right. And another one in the works. That's right. So why don't you tell us a little bit about them? Well, with Memories of War was the second book. Mm -hmm. 
and it actually was written because some of the ladies I met told me about their husbands being in the military and about the airfields and about how hard it was to exist as a single woman, as a widow. And I got involved with some of them with the VA because they didn't realize they were entitled to benefits. Mm. And they started telling me stories about their husbands and what had happened. And the one woman was a nurse. She was in the nurse cadet corps. So I thought, well, you know, that would be really interesting because what, we have the second largest number of veterans in Florida, second only to California. And then I discovered at the ripe old age and being in my 60s that my Uncle Johnny was a ball turret gunner in a B-24 at the age of 17, and I never knew that. He would not talk about it. And I thought, let's carry on with women, but let's not do just Punta Gorda. So I did interviews all over the United States. Right. I did interviews with friends who drove a man to church on Sunday who was at Pearl Harbor the day of the attack and got to sit with him and have him tell me more of the stories. I got to interview one of the last three living Tuskegee nurses. Her husband was one of the Tuskegee Airmen. And she's still alive and lives in suburban Atlanta. I got to interview a family, a Japanese-American family, American citizens in California who lost everything and were sent to a detainment camp and then returned to Sacramento to have to rent the properties that they once owned. And I interviewed a woman whose son, right in this area, was at Fort Hood the day the psychiatrist went berserk. And she was on the phone with her son as he was shot three times and did not know for 10 hours that he was alive or dead. That then led to, gee, I grew up with very strong family ethics. My father died when I was five, but my mother is a single parent, wanted us to know about family. And she was one of eight, so every Sunday we would traipse downtown after church, get on the bus, and go to Grandma and Grandpa's farm. And it was about food. Nice Ukrainian perha and halupshi and paska, the bread. Okay, wait, stop. What are those words that you're just... Perha, perha, people call pierogies, but my grandma, Kashka Karol Pogorachny, would say perha. And I learned to make it, and I learned to make paska, which is the bread, the round loaves of bread, mm. halupski, which are cabbage rolls, and kapusta, which is soup. And I grew up in a family where on Sunday you sat down as a family and you had dinner. And everybody got together. So I thought, what if I didn't write a cookbook, but what if I wrote a Cooking with Grandma book, but told the stories and included the special recipes? So I did that, of women of all ages. Again, all over the United States. Climbed up. How did you find people for that? Well, see, I'm very quiet-spoken, oh, so yes. it was hard. Yeah, we, we have noticed that, Libby. <laughs> noticed that. I've been told that I tend to talk to everyone in supermarkets, in department stores, um, in movie theaters and airplanes, and I really had met a lot of people that way. So just by speaking to people, and they would say, you really need to talk to so-and-so. You really need, and that's what would happen. And I would get stories from all different groups of people. Now, Libby, you decided to write your story. Tell us about that. In 2001, I said, I'm going to write my story. Mm -hmm. Because I became ill from the building in which I taught, and I got mold in my lungs, and I had to retire before I wanted to. And it was a very upsetting time for me because I loved teaching and I wanted to stay, but I had to leave. And had bronchitis and pneumonia almost all the time. But I started walking and I said, I'm the new type of streetwalker here, guys. <laughs> and I would walk all kinds of places. And I said, I'm going to write a book about how you can conquer everything. But and it walking. took. Yes. Yes, thank 
Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It took me to the fourth book. And by the fourth time I started writing the book, I realized that it wasn't going to end the way I wanted it to because I have a rapid degenerative arthritis, osteo, which we all get, but unfortunately it's causing the bones to push up out of my foot and some other major problems. I've had to give up being a streetwalker in the nicest sense of the word. And I decided well, I'm going to write stories about the people I've met along the way. You know, conquering my fears of walking bridges and conquering my fears of going up to the top of one of the Grand Tetons and meeting little old men here in Punta Gorda who would ask me to come with them to the library and for coffee and I'd find out they were married and have to tell them no. <laughs> and I wrote the stories of everywhere I walked. And because I wanted people to understand that despite the fact that I can no longer walk and I lost a whopping 70 pounds that I had gained from steroids, and struggle now to continue losing and put a few on and I'm struggling with it because I had to give up almost all my heavy duty exercise and resort to walking in the pool and bands and things that are not as, as strenuous. I wanted people to know that if you're determined you can deal with right. it, you can overcome it. Right. Now, and you just had the launch for that book Yes. Last week? Yes. And um, I think you told us a little story about that. Right. Now, what's the title of the book again? Memoir of a Streetwalker. Okay, okay, right. Okay. A Peripatetic journey. journey. To Reduction. To Reduction, which I, I had to look up Peripatetic. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it has several meanings, but, but I wanted people to know, you know, it hasn't been an easy battle. Right. And, and I'm a firm believer that you look back. I say that to people all the time. Everybody says, no, you walk straight ahead. No, you look back. Because if you hit a, a block in the road, look back at how far you've come. Mm. And you can gauge your progress. And that's what I do all the time. I get frustrated. I stick my tongue out at people I see walking every morning because I want to be out there with them. I've attempted to walk it sometimes and found out that I can sometimes get almost a mile. I'm better pushing a shopping cart up and down the aisles of the grocery store. And I think they wonder why I'm there all the time. Um, but I do things like that. But... At the launch of the book, there were 60, 62 people. And I, I said, gee, I don't think I know 70% of those people. And I was told, I thought, well, maybe they came because they heard I was bringing shrimp and, and baking. <laughs> There's and, always a spread. But they small. said, no, some of those people thought you really were a streetwalker. And they wanted <laughs> to see what one looked like. I titled the book on purpose. I've had that title since 2001. That was my dream title, so I asked for it. <laughs> and it's fun. And all of these books are available at Copperfish Books. And on Amazon. And on Amazon. And the fifth one will also be when it comes out next, probably early December. Yes. Hold on one second. Sure. Sorry, I had to get a sip of my coffee. What? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, my name is George Mancini, and I listen to Partnership for the Arts and it is a rewarding experience. Okay, so let me, so book number five is quite serious. It really deals with a lot of the difficulties and the health issues in the aftermath of 9-11. Yes. And the title is so well named for that. Thank you. It's called Our Brother's Keepers, and I think it's the most difficult one I've attempted. So, what compelled you to write this? 
We have a, a friend who moved into our neighborhood about nine months ago, and Joe was with the sanitation department in New York City. Joe, um, your husband. Our neighbor. Okay. His name is also Joe, okay. as my husband's is, and he was there on 9-11, and he has stage four cancer. And he said, I bought your books, I read your books, I want you to write a book on us. I think people are forgetting. About 9-11. and about us, about how many have died. He was the first diagnosed in Florida in 2011, 10 years after. And it was 2011 when the benefit program came through. The people had already died. And he said, please, will you tell the stories? So Joe, where am I going to get the people? He said, I'll get you people, and I'm sure you'll meet them as you go different places. And I did. I told his story. It's very hard to get him to sit because he's in constant motion. He's living life to the fullest. He's checked constantly when he developed the tumors in his nose and his mouth in 2011. He had a, a Navy surgeon who was able to take samples from the trade towers, from ground zero, and from the samples that Christy Whitman had sent away and that they were told were totally safe for them to be there, and from the tumors that he found in Joe, and to prove that his cancer was related to being at 9-11. He told the exposure from everything. everything. When the concrete, you know, the firemen set up their uh, command center on the ground level because always there were little planes hitting the antennas, and when even these big planes hit, they assumed it would be the top floors, not the whole building crumbling. There were computers, there was glass, there was concrete, there were so many toxins. And really, there was nothing left. Is there? And the asbestos. From oh, and the asbestos. Yeah. So I started, and I found out That's that the chaplain here in Punta Gorda was a non-uniformed employee of the fire department in New York City. And I met with him, and he told me his story, and the story of his partner who died of cancer um, after the exposure. And he told me the story of what it was like. He was in Disney at the time and had no clue how bad it was. And when he got back to New York, he kept the generators going 24-7 so that they could have power as they were there. And he told me that to him, firemen are saviors. They rescue. And he told me the story of what it was like as a fireman praying they could find someone alive. And they did not. I then from him, I started meeting other people. And I found out through someone I talked with that the supervisor of the air traffic controllers at Pittsburgh Airport was living in Pennsylvania in Elizabethtown and I contacted him and I sat with him this summer and interviewed him for a long time. He introduced me to a woman who was in New York for the American Kennel Club and was to fly back on flight 93. Oh. Changed her flight. Her son works for United Airlines in San Francisco and she was going back to Monterey Bay. She ended up getting a ride to Philadelphia, running a car and driving on her own. And she told me her story. Why, why did she change her flight? She decided to stay longer. And at that time, she decided she'd stay longer for another day. And at that time, if you flew as a passenger of a family who, of a member who worked for the airlines, you were listed as an unknown passenger. Mm. And she talked about being there and the, and the buildings going down. Yeah, there were so many people who have stories like that, too, that... They were late for a meeting at the World Trade Center right. or, you know, something 
Yeah, That's true. Came up. People who were in the buildings and stepped out for a meeting or were right. to be up on the 100th floor, right. and they got a phone call that kept them below. And then I got into the Pentagon, and I'm hoping to interview the chaplain, who's a this Catholic a, priest. It's really just amazing that, um, I mean, I guess it's not surprising that people are so willing to tell their stories. But Some aren't. Yeah. But those who want people to remember, because in 2015, the benefits stopped, and they were not going to be extended. Mm -hmm. Congress did not plan to extend them. John Stewart, the comedian, went with a fireman named Ray Pfeiffer, who died this past July. Ray had the same cancer our friend does. And they went to Washington, and they pounded on the doors of the congressman and asked them to consider, and they were frequently given the brush off. They were given business cards and said, come back in a week or so. They became so frustrated that when they would go, they would hand them a mass card or a funeral memory card and say, perhaps you would like one of our cards. And because of John Stewart and Ray Pfeiffer, the benefits were continued. But there are people who aren't covered because what they have is not on the list. So I've been in Pennsylvania, where I'm from. We lost 18 people in Bucks County. Um, I'm going to be in San Francisco. I'm going to do some interviews there. And I plan to do a lot more here, and I'm hoping to maybe get to Dallas, because the Dallas firefighters were volunteers who came to New York and befriended one of the men, um, Johnny Walters, who I have his story. He is now, he was a first responder, almost all, but he and one other firefighter, I believe, died that day. And he survived because he was sent somewhere else. And his partner and best friend was killed by a jumper. So those are the stories, and it is, I spend a lot of nights sitting up thinking about them. It's very difficult, and I, bet. I thought it was all said and done. I thought they were being taken care of. I had no clue of the situation and that it's an ongoing fight. That's news to a lot of people, so that's something you're bringing to light there, Libby. Do you know, do you have a number of how many people will have been affected or passed away from this, these kind of situations? I can't even get numbers of those who died. Mm. From sanitation to the fire department to the police department to the EMTs to the volunteers. There are volunteers who became ill. Right. But I want it, and I now want it written because I want young adults do not know. It's sort of like when, you, when I wrote Memories of War. I didn't know about my uncle. Right. We need to make sure, put a little humanity in the world. Hey, Ken Burns. Yes, right. You're the Ken Burns of Pennsylvania. Is that what I am? I'm not sure. <laughs> and again, just to go back, I don't think you can underestimate the value of having pictures in all oh. of your books because it really does put a face to these people. Right. Brothers Keepers, there will be photos mm -hmm. of the metal. There were so many metal crosses found when they started mm -hmm. tearing down. One is in Nutshanksville mm -hmm. at the firehouse there. Um, that was the biggest surprise to many of the responders because they would, the building as it was coming down, the two towers, there would be metal crosses, almost as if they were left there on purpose. Sure. And there were no bodies. Right. It's an education for me also. Right. Wow. Well, Libby, I got to say, just sitting here and, and talking and listening to you about these stories, it's amazing that we're learning now. And I got to say thank you for actually being a historian and storyteller, so to speak, of bringing this to life and, and with your new book, because it is all important. I think I'm a storyteller. It's other people's stories. I'm just the way they're getting out.
because they're not my words. Which is an, a, no. an, a really I'm happy to be. Role, though. I'm very happy really to be is. a storyteller, and I give credit. It was my publisher, by the way, when we sat and talked, and I said, he said, I think we need pictures too. And we talked and talked about that, and pictures are so important. Mm -hmm. Puts mm -hmm. a face. It yeah. puts a face to the, those who were affected, every one of the stories, including right. me. Right. <laughs> including. Right. So that's why I'm ready. And that, I say, will be my last book. As she rolls her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Libby, anything else you want to share with us? You know, I know you're just basically sitting back, eating bonbons, oh. and, you know. <laughs> Gee, I wish that were so. My, um, Kelly Gaylord has yes. informed me that, and she, hard worker that she is, she was there yesterday with the artist doing the base coat on the walls. This Kelly is nonstop. Yes, and yeah. Skip began yesterday with Kelly's help. Uh, they had to switch to scaffolding instead of a scissors lift, and it will wrap the building. We are hoping that it will be done, as I said, three months or less, and I hope everyone comes to see it. Uh, we're all excited about this next mural going on. And yes, right. Skip working on it, and uh, I think we all got excited to see it. Yes. You know, I don't know if we mentioned that Skip doing the mural is also the same one that did the two murals at the fire station number one. Yes, right. Yes. Just wanted to put a little more cool on that. And I hope everyone supports. A lot of people don't realize that those 10 members of that Mural Society board do everything. Right. All money is fundraised. Nothing is, is right. uh, or through donations. They do all the work. They're an amazing group of people. Oh, absolutely. They, they work so hard. They are just phenomenal. They are amazing. I only wish I had their artistic talent. Well, you got an artistic talent there, too. Maybe no doubt about that. Yes. Thank you. You know, again, the whole putting the face to history, mm. that's what these murals do. They actually do. Right. We have so many wonderful murals depicting so much of that history and continuing to do so, like with the new uh, mural that Skip is painting now. Yes. Libby, what would be a way for people to get out and experience some more of that history that you have been writing about. How would they do that? What would you tell them? Just take a walk. Take a walk down Red Esplanade. You know, go over to where Tribu Woods was, to where some of the most amazing music where the Blanchard House Museums. Go visit these places. And the stories will just astound you. These wonderful people who settled it. Incredible. And you get to tell those stories. I certainly do. I become educated. I'm a student again in my late 60s and early 70s. <laughs> Which is a good thing. It's a good thing. Always to be a student. Can never I'm stop learning. Teacher. That's right. <laughs> so, once again, time has gone so quickly. Libby, thank you so much for your time. This has been just so interesting and I can't wait to share this with our listeners. Absolutely. I, just amazing. It just feels like we just, you know, touched on a bit right. of everything that's right. there that you've got to offer in those books. So have to pick them up and read them. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yes. So Libby, thank you again for coming back for part two. Well, thank you. Lynette, you have a good day. Thanks, Dave. You too. Talk well, to you soon. Right. The next show. <laughs> 
And to everyone that tuned in once again, thank you so much for joining us here on Partnership for the Art. Yes. Talk show where we talk art and we'll talk to you soon. Right. This is Partnership for the Arts Radio. Come join us as we explore the worlds of art. This podcast was recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida. And you can find this and other episodes of our talk show on Facebook and our website at partnershipforthearts.group.org.